stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So the challenge of uh, returning ISIS fighters has been a real dilemma for law enforcement, intelligence officials, right? Being able to demonstrate that that somebody was indeed uh, fighting with ISIS, trying to piece together evidence to indicate what they did or didn't do. And I mean, unless they're admitting to two crimes, it can be very difficult to to prove. And of course, then there's the political pressure that goes along with that. The why are we letting these these ISIS fighters come back to Canada or walk around free? I mean, something's got to be done about it. Well, now we've got a case that presents another kind of challenge, because maybe the assumption is that you know people aren't going to admit to things that they didn't do. That there's kind of an incentive almost to deny all of this. But here's a case of the opposite. 25-year-old, a 25-year-old Burlington, Ontario man has been charged with faking his involvement in ISIS, making up stories about him committing atrocities for ISIS. And he's been making these claims for a number of years now. In fact, uh, this is the individual, it would appear, who called himself Abu Huzaifa and spoke with the New York Times for their podcast, Caliphate, and spoke with other Canadian media outlets as well. So this is not only somebody who says, yes, I fought with ISIS. This is somebody who said, yes, I was part of their religious police. Yes, I committed executions for the Islamic State. And this became a big deal at the time. Like, here's this this individual admitting to these atrocities, and he's living free in Toronto. So somewhere along the way, the RCMP went from investigating somebody who committed atrocities to investigating somebody who had made all of this up. So it is a, an unusual case to be sure, and I suppose presents some challenges uh, from uh, a law enforcement and an intelligence perspective. Well, joining us uh, to talk more about this uh, unusual case, very pleased to welcome to the program uh, here this afternoon, Leah West who's a lecturer with the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University and co-authored a piece on this case. In fact, uh, you can read it at Slate.com this week. Leah, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever heard of a case like this or remember any kind of a case like this. Is, have you ever seen anything like this? No, it's really unusual. Terrorist hoax cases, when we have them, are typically... And the law is designed for someone, for example, who may call in a bomb threat, right? Someone who right. calls in and um, create their, through their actions creates a sort of panic, um, and you know resources are expended to try and address that issue, and it turns out to be a hoax. In this case, it's someone who has said things about what they did in the past, um, and the RCMP alleges that by well. The Crown will have to prove to actually make this charge stick that he intended to create fear in the population, fear that, you know, Canadians would face bodily harm or death or destruction of property as a result of the terrorist activities because of what he said, but about things he did in the past. So it's a very interesting case. It is. And now, first of all, what what do we know? I mean, was this guy... Was he overseas at all? Is this somebody who's exaggerating his involvement? Or is the understanding here that he just invented all of this whole cloth? We don't know precisely what the RCMP 
says he lied about, right? We just know that they've charged him with a hoax, um, which means that they think that he's read information or conveyed information that was false in order to create this fear. Um, the exact nature of what they're saying is false is not clear right now. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, the New York Times podcast, um, they did um, identify holes in his story, but they also did a series of fact-checking exercise that they believed put him in Syria um, in 2014. Um, but it's not clear that even if he was in Syria, which, you know, if he went there to participate with ISIS would be a crime, but it's not clear that when he was there, he did what he said he did. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no evidence of his actual participation that I've ever seen other than his own words about what he did when he got there. If he went there right, it, at all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There must have been some red flags for the RCMP, because if, if somebody is basically boasting of, of the atrocities they committed, you know, something's got to give the RCMP some indication that this doesn't add up, because otherwise you would almost treat that as, as a confession, I would imagine. Yeah, and that was what was causing so many people to not understand why he hadn't been arrested. Um, It wasn't that people didn't know who he was. Um, As as my co-author, Amara Mersingham, wrote, he was in contact with Chowdhury on the basis that he'd been someone who had participated in ISIS and needed support to de-radicalize and reintegrate. And, you know, so there were people interacting with him on that basis. Um, so it's not like he was unknown to RCMP, but um, as the RCMP would have, I'm, I have no doubt, started to investigate, right? They would have been looking for information to corroborate what he'd done, and they may have ultimately only found exculpatory information. So information saying that, well, he wasn't there at that time, or we know he was in Pakistan at school in 2014. And as they would have gone through the investigation, they may have come upon more and more exculpatory information, which would have um, led them to believe that he actually had made it up. But they're going to have to prove that in court. They're going to have to prove the lie. They're going to have to prove the negative, which is very, very unusual in criminal prosecutions. Yeah, and and I'm not sure what kind of argument he would make to counter that. Is is he going to present evidence in court court that uh, no, I I actually did kill people for ISIS? I, yeah, <laughs> that, that's an odd argument <laughs> well, for someone to make. It would be, and I think it's important to remember that the accused doesn't have to say anything in court, mm-hmm. right? It's up for yeah. the crown to prove the case. So in this case, the crown will have to prove he was lying. Right. That is a part of proving the elements of this offense. So they're going to have to put on the table. And if I was Chabri's defense lawyer, I would be testing and questioning the investigative efforts taken to prove that he did, in fact, lie, um, which could be very uncomfortable for the RCMP and other security (laughs) services who were involved in this investigation. No kidding. Because it, it's a different kind of criminal charge. This isn't perjury, right? He's not charged with lying under oath. He's charged yeah. with the, the kind of lie that, that could, as you say, create fear. I mean, if, if I'm mm-hmm. at a bar and, and I'm drunk and I'm trying to impress somebody and I see and I was, I was uh, in the IRA, 
Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but it's not necessarily criminal. It, it, it crosses a line at a certain point, though, doesn't it? Right. The intent has to be cre to create this kind of fear, to make people believe that there is terrorist activity that might threaten their lives. Um, and I think the other interesting thing to remember about this is he didn't, you know, like I said, when you call in a bomb threat to the law, to, to law enforcement, right? Um, that's not what happened here. He told his story to reporters. And then how his story got told was up to those reporters, right? So how do you then attribute his intent when the storytelling and how the storytelling created fear or didn't has a huge impact on how people perceive the threat, right? Um, when you're telling the story or you're reading it in newsprint, it's very different than when it's in a very flashy, well-produced podcast with scary music in the background, for example. So I think there's so much about this that's interesting um, from, you know, those who are in investigative journalism from a law enforcement perspective and those of us who are, are watching the terrorism landscape. Well, there's the other question maybe this all poses then is that we're going to go to the wall to, to try to nail this wannabe but what about mm -hmm. the actuals? What about the actual returning fighters, people who actually have committed atrocities or are believed to have been? It seems like we're, we're not as interested in going after them. I think that's the really hard thing um, to take um, here is that we know um, because our public safety minister has told us that there are a number of returnees in Canada. Um, we also know that there are returnees, again, who, um, you know, we have actual evidence of their participation with ISIS um, in Syria, who are being detained in Syria, but not being returned so that they can be prosecuted for their crimes. Um, and it seems, you know, counterintuitive that we would get this charge, but we wouldn't see others. We've, we've seen a few returnees charged. And in fact, we actually just got two more in the last two months. Um, people who in Calgary, um, Jamal and Hussein Warhol allegedly went to um, Syria in 2013 and returned in 2014. They've just been charged as well. So we are seeing some prosecutions, but they don't at all align with the number of people who we know went and who we know have returned. And there's been none for those who are currently in Syrian custody. Very interesting. We'll see how this case plays out. We mentioned your piece as well. It was posted uh, yesterday at Slate.com. Leah, appreciate the insight, and uh, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Thanks for having me. Take care. That is Leah West, a uh, former attorney with the Department of Justice and uh, currently a lecturer at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. So uh, a weird case. Uh, our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.